0: We interrupt this broadcast with some important news Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week it's
1: time, it's, time it's time
0: for Taiwan This Week
1: Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps And I'm joined in the studio this evening by a new power party, Taipei City Council candidate, shin Shen
2: Hey Gavin, how are you doing?
1: And on the telephone by ICRT's regular commentator, Donovan Smith Hey, good evening Tonight we'll be discussing a visit to NASA, an assortment of local election-related news, plans for UAV regulations that include an anti-drunk drone flying law, and puppies, albeit of the edible kind, made of ice cream. And we'll begin with Taiwan and El Salvador parting diplomatic ways this week. Foreign Minister Joseph Wu held a press conference at around 10am on Tuesday morning in Taipei and he said that the Tsai administration's decision to cut formal ties with the Central American country comes after San Salvador asked Taiwan for a rather large amount of financial aid to build a port. Now Wu said while Taiwan is willing to consider cooperating with its allies in education, farming and even infrastructure initiatives, it refuses to Compete with China in buying diplomatic support. Now, the foreign minister also slammed Beijing's moves to diplomatically isolate Taiwan, saying that China is using dollar diplomacy to lure away the island's allies with promises of vast financial aid and investments. Now, within about 20 minutes of that, China's foreign minister, Wang Yi, came out and said that El Salvador's foreign minister, who just happened to be in Beijing that day, had already signed a joint communique on the establishment of diplomatic ...diplomatic relations between the two countries. And I spoke with regular ICRT commentator Ross Feingold... ...about the issues surrounding the latest country to quit Taiwan... ...in favour of diplomatic ties with China. So Ross, here we are again, three times in one year. So what's going on and what maybe went wrong?
0: China, in a word. Of course China wants to shrink Taiwan's international space and an element of that, a significant element, is formal diplomatic relations. We know that maintaining formal diplomatic relations is part of showing to the world that Taiwan is a sovereign country, whose formal name is the Republic of China, and these countries often, not always, but often, do vote for Taiwan's participation in international organizations which we know is a very important issue not just for the current government but it was important to past governments and generally speaking whether one supports uh, voters whether one one supports the KMT or the DPP uh, there's consensus among the public that Taiwan should be a not just an observer but a normal participant in international organizations so unlike other countries that make statements of support but don't vote for Taiwan, typically the countries that maintain formal relations do actually send letters and vote for Taiwan's participation. Unfortunately, it's typically uh, rejected on the strength of China's opposition. Uh, So there there are a number of reasons why these formal relations continue to be important to Taiwan, and thus China will look to uh, destroy that. And given the current government's position on cross-strait relations being something that uh... china disagrees with because the government says we'll talk about anything but not on the basis of the ninety two consensus and the government in Beijing says we'll talk about anything on the basis of the ninety two consensus so given that uh... separation uh... and how they view cross-strait relations china we know is looking for ways to bully Taiwan. And this is just a significant aspect of that. As to what went wrong, it's hard to say Taiwan is at fault. If it is true that El Salvador asked for an enormous amount of financial aid, Taiwan is already very generous with most of its formal diplomatic allies, as people like to call them, as far as uh, technical aid, medical aid, agriculture aid, infrastructure aid in some cases. And it appears, uh, according to Joseph Wu, that El Salvador made a demand for an exorbitant amount of money, that Taiwan uh, was not prepared to agree to, and uh, El Salvador then sought the assistance from China, as countries often do. Whether that's the actual narrative, I think it takes uh, it's going to take a little bit more time for some of the facts to come out. Clearly, El Salvador and China have been discussing this for quite a period of time. Uh, they didn't begin a conversation a few days ago or even a few weeks ago, and that would probably be the same for some of the, the other countries that still maintain formal diplomatic relations with taiwan they would have had conversations with china regardless of who approach to it's definitely happening and certainly happening with the vatican we know that uh... so uh... should taiwan wait until the morning or the same day where el salvador is announcing its new relations with China and termination of relations with Taiwan uh, at a press conference in Beijing. Should Taiwan wait that long for announcing its own decision? You could argue it both ways. One could say maybe Taiwan should have taken the initiative days and weeks ago in order to protect its own dignity and said, El Salvador, we know what you're doing. We're not going to be caught at the last minute. Uh, uh, announcing we're terminating ties while you're sitting over there in Beijing having a press conference saying you, you recognize one China and Taiwan's a part of China. Uh, so that, that, that's something that I think we should watch for as far as is it going to become part of the public debate here. Should Taiwan wait until the last minute or actually take the initiative uh, to do this before the foreign minister, president or prime minister of the other country is, is at a press conference in Beijing signing a communique.
1: And that was me in conversation with regular ICRT commentator Ross Feingold. So, Donovan, you listened to what Ross said. What do you have to say?
3: Yeah, well, what I thought really was quite interesting was actually the U.S. response. Um, and to, to quote them, uh, although we recognize the sovereign right of every country to To determine its diplomatic relations, we are deeply disappointed by this decision, said a spokesman for the U.S. State Department, who did not want to be identified by name. We are reviewing our relationship with El Salvador following this decision, he said. Now, as far as I know, this is the first time the U.S. has actually weighed in significantly into any kind of uh, uh, diplomatic relations issue that Taiwan has had. So, I thought that was quite, quite remarkable now, admittedly to, the, to a side note, uh, Taiwan and uh, El Salvador, sorry the u s and El Salvador have uh, other issues on the table. but uh, this is a little bit remarkable that the u s has uh, <clears throat> both in the Senate and in the State Department has taken up this issue.
1: Xiao, what did you think of the u s being rather loud about this?
2: Yeah, I I agree with uh, Donovan that this is quite remarkable and then it's almost unprecedented that uh, not only the State Department came out and then talking about um, this, you know, El Salvador's decision to break relationship with Taiwan, but also in in Congress, um, in the Senate, uh, Senator Marco Rubio even tweets that it uh, would be a terrible mistake uh, for government of El Salvador to switch diplomatic recognitions from Taiwan to China. Uh, maybe they think the China money will help governing party win elections in 2019, um, but this will cause real harm to the relationship with the U.S., including their role in the uh, Alliance for Prosperity. And even further, Marco Rubio proposed um, re- legislations that would cut off um, foreign aid to uh, El Salvador following you know their breaking off with Taiwan. So this development is um, is very you know shocking in a way that the U.S., both uh, the government and the Congress stand up um, strongly for taiwan in this situation but
1: do you think they were standing up for taiwan or do you think they were saying hang on a minute el salvador don't go too far towards china
2: i think it's, it's both right because um the u.s has seen, you know a number of countries breaking off with taiwan recently and then uh and what's behind this you know a series of events is just definitely the chinese money and then uh, uh, it's very apparent that um, the China has been using their money to exert influences around the world, um, not to mention their One Belt and One Road projects, which is hitting roadblocks um, recently. So uh, I think the, the U.S. is taking notice of that, and then it's trying to uh, take an active stand in this event.
1: What about the, I mean, what do you think of that U.S. move, Donovan?
3: Yeah, I think actually that the, all of that's correct. Um, I can add a little bit further. Um, there are some issues, of course, with uh, MS-13 and uh, El Salvador right now with uh, immigration. But I do think it is quite remarkable, I, I, as he noted. The um, you know Marco Rubio has been particularly strong on the issue. Um, but I do think that it's really interesting that not only it, it, with people within the State Department and uh, it's and uh, prominent senators are coming forth and commenting on the issue, they're taking a pretty, particularly hard line. And there's also a lot of uh, speculation going around that China may be wanting to actually build a military port, um, a naval base in El Salvador, um, which, of course, has been raising alarms uh, you know, within the U.S. and in the region. Now, if that actually is the case, then we have a potential quasi-Cuban missile crisis uh, on the horizon.
1: Do you think that would drag in Taiwan?
3: Well, not by that point, no. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: hope not. <laughs> Anyway, while El Salvador split, so to speak, the foreign minister of the kingdom of Isawanti came out and said that his country has no intention of splitting ties with Taiwan. That comment came only, well, basically hours after China's foreign ministry said that, well, Isawanti is going to attend a forum in Beijing this September where every other African country is going to be and then Beijing will swipe Isawanti from Taiwan there. The foreign minister of Isawanti, though, denied that and said his country isn't even going to the forum. While the ambassadors here in Taiwan from Honduras and Nicaragua also reaffirmed their respective government's commitment to maintaining ties with the island. But Guatemala's embassy, well, they're not really commenting on the issue as we record this show, and they have released a statement saying that they will consult with the government in Guatemala before making a public statement on the issue sometime next week. So, of course, three allies there coming out in favour of Taiwan, very, very... Vocally shall
2: Yeah, I mean it's always uh, encouraging to see um such um you know allies coming out but um but but there's already three breaking off this year. I mean um as a Taiwanese we we are still looking at this very solemnly that um any ally may be next so we, we still want to you know think long and hard about um our you know international relations and then what's the what's what's the road to the future
1: and there has been concern, of course, Donovan, that Guatemala could be next
3: yeah, there's been a lot of concerns i I mean China's very active and they seem to be quite literally in the global Times over the last couple of days they've been basically gloating and taunting uh saying whos the uh, headline in the in the global Times is who's next um, uh, so China's obviously right now on the offensive. The question is how far they're going to push it because – the, there's, there's some debate on this – but uh, whether or not they want act, it would actually serve their purposes to completely remove all of Taiwan's uh, diplomatic relations or not, uh, they could actually shoot themselves in the foot by, doing, by removing all of them. Uh, but again, that depends.
1: And what about, I mean, Xiao, do you, I mean, obviously, there's great debate. Every time Taiwan loses an ally, there's debate about, well, should Taiwan be doing something different?
2: Yeah, that's always uh, the question, because um because I, I always hate to see that Taiwan loses their lives because actually it's a Republic of China that's losing allies because the allies are actually having formal diplomatic relationship with the Republic of China. And by breaking off, they are actually just switching recognition of China from Republic of China to People's Republic of China. So this is a very important subtlety that that's not mentioned any time when an uh, ally is breaking off. So uh, as you know, from... Our standpoint, we feel that even if you know the allies keep breaking off, then maybe at one point we should start considering you know how to you know look at this whole situation from a new light and maybe uh, try to establish our um, country as, a, as something that's related to Taiwan and not something of ta- China.
3: Yeah, that's a, that's exactly where China may shoot itself in the foot. That, that that's kind of what I was getting at. Um, it, it, as long as uh, china as long as as long as other countries recognize the the rec- the uh, rec- diplomatically recognize the republic of china the republic of china continues to exist uh if they remove all of taiwan's diplomatic allies then uh, or i should say diplomatic relations because they're not really allies Then the Republic of China ceases to exist, in which case there's no actual, there's very little reason for Taiwan to maintain the fiction of being the Republic of China. That's
2: pretty well said, and I would like to see that happening.
1: Right, moving on. And before the proverbial poop hit the fan in regards to El Salvador this week, President Tsai Ing-wen returned from a state visit to Paraguay and Belize, and more importantly for many, transit stopovers in the United States. Now, we talked about the LA stopover on last week's show, so we'll focus on Tsai's Houston stopover this week, where she visited NASA. There you go, she went to see spacey people. And she also became the first Taiwan head of state to actually visit a US federal agency now she visited the mission control center of the lyndon b johnson space center and the command post for the american astronauts where they're basically told what to do when they're in space and she received a briefing there from nasa's flight director royce renfrew so xiao what did you read into this visit to nasa was it a great breakthrough
2: yeah it's uh president Tsai has already made a number of breakthroughs in this trip um, and one of them is visiting a uh, official federal facility uh, in the U.S. Um, and there are also interesting episode behind this. That um, so when the president goes inside the uh, space control center, um, and then they are all, immediately there are immediately there China press um, or netizens coming out saying that um, oh, it's just a space center. Every tourist can go uh, if, if you just need to buy a ticket. But uh, immediately there are some. You know, there's one Taiwanese researcher uh, inside NASA called Mike Kuo came out and then debunked that. And she he mentioned that the president actually went into um, a closed door private area where not anyone can go. So it's just very interesting that even visiting a space center can be politicized by China.
3: Yeah, no, that's all absolutely correct. Um, I, I could add a little bit further. What was interesting is that this that the trips via LA and Houston were both were also the first big tests of the Taiwan Travel Act. Um, and what's interesting is is that the U.S. government seemed to apply it moderately. In other words, they didn't jump. You know, they didn't immediately test the limits of it but they also didn't the US government didn't deny its existence so <clears throat> you know press was uh, allowed to she was allowed to speak to the press she was allowed to meet uh, for the first time uh, as as here noted the uh, to uh, go to a federal institution or a government institution um uh, and, but there was, you know, where previously a lot of senators would come and meet with, uh, Tai, this wasn't a quantum leap over, uh, previous trips from a, a, Taiwanese president. It was kind of an incremental step forward rather than a, a giant quantum leap, which for a lot of people looking at the, uh, you know the the trump administration this seemed surprisingly nuanced i thought
1: but there was a couple of u.s officials who came out there was one particular one who came out and said they want Tsai to visit washington dc of course xiao
2: yeah that's uh, that's the full power of the taiwan travel act right that's the that's allowing the high level you know officials of taiwan including the president to visit washington dc where they were you know um, traditionally not been allowed to go, so yeah Donovan was right that this is this is just an incremental step in in the right direction it 's not it 's not a very dramatic you know leap uh, as compared to what was previously happening but of course, we would love to see you know the president or any other high level cabinet officials actually go into Washington and meet with all um their counterparts there will be a much exciting um Development, but uh, but we we're happy as uh, as it is. I mean, we're taking baby steps, and this is in the right direction.
1: I mean, do you see do you see Tsai or someone else going to Washington DC in the short term, or do you think that's a few years down the road?
2: I think it's uh, still a few years down the road. So um, they, I think both sides, uh, Taiwan or the US, are testing the limits of China, see what their retaliation steps are going to be, and we see very clear that uh, one of the retaliation is forcing our one of our diplomatic relations to break off with us so um if that's um acceptable to not acceptable if that's you know agreeable to both sides we, we may keep testing the limits and one day we may see you know president's go into washington dc
1: Right, of course, a survey by the DPP... It was by the DPP, I should say this. A survey by the DPP said that 54.2% of respondents said that Tsai Ing-wen's visit to Paraguay, Belize and, of course, the stopovers in the United States was beneficial to Taiwan's relationship with the foreign countries, while 36.8% felt it did not help. So, Donovan, I mean, more than half of the respondents said it was a good trip.
3: Uh, Yeah, it's a DPP poll, um... Uh, but as uh, Sean noted, actually, the, I think really the, the most dramatic elements is what's going on in the U.S. Uh, something I, I know I saw online uh, or commentary that uh, I thought was interesting is that to, to uh, it, 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 an interesting uh, editorial was that to a certain degree, it's it's getting closer and closer to the point where Taiwan's uh, diplomatic relations with countries in uh, Central Central and South America are important precisely because they allow uh, the Taiwanese government officials to transit via the United States. And that's more important than the diplomatic relations themselves, which is kind of an interesting statement.
1: Yeah, because whenever she goes to these countries, there's more hullabaloo made about the US transits than there is when she arrives in Paraguay, for example.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: So next time um, she probably needs to transit. Yeah, when she visits Europe or something.
1: Right. I mean, do, why do you think that is just the general public don't really understand the countries that Taiwan has diplomatic ties with, or they're more interested in her going to America?
2: Xiao. Um, I think that it 's both right I mean going to America any you of know, time and time again is definitely a a big development and a big show of um support of the u s with us and also our uh, mutual relationships but of course uh, having um diplomatic allies all over the world is, is, is also very important to us, too.
3: Yeah, I mean, let, let's, when you think about it, um, you know, countries like Belize and uh, are really – Paraguay has, uh, you know, th- these are not major – uh, international, They don't have a major international presence, they're not economic superpowers, and Taiwan doesn't actually have a very strong economic or cultural or social or even diplomatic relationship with uh, either of these countries. However, uh, the relationship between Taiwan and the United States on a personal level, uh, on a non-diplomatic level, economically, is actually quite important to Taiwan.
2: And one one of the uh, uh maybe functions of our allies, so called allies, is they um, often speak up for us in the international organizations. Um, so whenever we are trying to join an international organization, we look to the allies to you know as members of this organization to to speak for us and to raise you know propositions for us to join. Uh, although it has not been successful, but we, that's uh, one of probably the only channel that we 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 have to test.
3: The good news is actually, actually, uh, to add to Xiao's point, is um, recently uh, not so much in the UN, but more and more like in the in the World Health Organization and uh, in other organizations, you're starting to see countries like Canada, the United States, Germany have come forth and started to vocally support taiwan's uh... presence at least as an observer uh... So, whereas in the past it used to be countries that taiwan had diplomatic relations with were the only ones to speak up for taiwan in these international fora we're starting to see more and more uh, countries are starting to step up and say taiwan should at least be here as an observer even though we don't actually diplomatically recognise them as a country.
1: And we'll move on from our foreign jaunts in Central America and losing allies, and we'll take a look at the latest local election news. Now, we we won't be talking about polls today. We've had polls up to our... Honors, so we won't be going to any polls today, but we'll be talking about some issues that have come up over the past week related to the election. And the first one, of course, was the KMT holding its National Congress in New Taipei City this past Sunday, where the party's leadership vowed to win big, or rather, hit a home run in the November local elections. And yes, you've guessed it, the theme of the Congress was, strangely enough, baseball. And it saw KMT Chairman Udini touting what he said were Taiwan's great accomplishments during Ma ying presidency, and also speaking of the KMT's being better at managing the economy, tourism, social issues, and also its adherence to the 1992 (coughs) consensus. Now, according to Ooh, the KMT will seek to steer the economy in the right direction, promote efficient government, and work in developing peaceful cross-strait ties, and also, basically seek big wins in the November ballot. Obviously, shout they're your opposition in the November ballot, mate.
2: They are, indeed. um, So... If I may I'll just decode their um message for everybody that's that um if you choose KMT um you get all the access to China and then that, that brings you um you know money and prosperity. So um for us we uh we don't believe in the nineteen ninety two consensus. We don't believe Taiwan is part of China, so that's our uh, defining differences between uh us and KMT, um, so that's what we're going to campaign on, and we hope uh, the people would recognize that that um, we are serving our country instead of serving the country on the, the other side of the strait.
1: But of course, that's that's your party's opinion, of course. But I mean, do you think the KMT could roll over the DPP in this election? Obviously, you don't want them to. You want to win yourself. But I mean, th- would you that's- think the DPP could turn around the DPP's election victories in the last local election?
2: Well, um, I would say it's um, it's not really looking good for DPP since they are in power. And then whenever the party is in power, they are already, always, always facing the uh, the string, electoral string. Um And this time it's swinging in against them. So uh, they are actually facing, you know, against the, the pol- strong political winds. Um, and the KMT is actually looking good in some districts to pick up seats. Um, but that's just politics, because some yeah. Uh, but so the DPP needs to, you know,
3: campaign really, really hard.
1: And of course, Donovan, you're sitting in an area where the KMT is doing quite well.
3: Yeah, um, I think Charles absolutely correct. There, there are some headwinds facing the the, uh, the DPP. Um, and so the you know, right now here in Taichung, Taichung could go either way. Um, and, uh, the, you know, there's a lot of pressure right now on, uh, Marilyn Jia Long. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, at this point, I still think that uh, looking at it, he has a slight edge. But going into the election, I think that the key issues to watch are what the the uh, air pollution is like uh, the last uh, week or two before the election, and if the Floral Expo launches well. Now, John Wah, which is the largest administrative region, outside of the big 6 municipalities it's looking shaky uh there's a lot of risk for the DPP there <clears throat> so it's entirely conceivable that the uh that central taiwan could flip back to the KMT which has been kind of its normal state uh for the last uh yeah, pretty much uh since the japanese era but uh, we'll see. It's not. It's not in the bag for the KMT that they win, but it's not inconceivable that they they uh, will sweep the region as w- either. So, uh, central Taiwan right now is very, very, very much uh, on both parties' radar. Now, for the conference, what I found uh, very interesting is two things on the KMT conference. One is that essentially they've rolled back. All of the uh, Hong Tzu era, uh, very strongly pro uh, unification era uh, rhetoric, and moved basically, essentially back to where they were during the Ma administration. So the the uh, the, the party congress essentially rolled out an almost identical uh, Ma Ying-Jiu era series of statements. And then, kind of somewhat bizarrely, uh, considering all the talk uh you know and debate on toxic masculinity, you know, they ruled all the the most recent uh, violent murders and dismembering as not anything to do with any of that, but rather. Uh, Lack of morale in society caused by the Thai administration.
1: Right. Do you think they went back to the Ma era for safety, because they felt safe somewhere in the Ma era?
3: It's a lack of imagination. I I really don't think they have any new ideas.
2: I totally agree. Um, The Ma era is the, the time where the Sunflower Movement erupted. Um, and that changed the political landscape ever since so um, if they want to return to the Maya uh, they are really lacking imagination
1: Right, let's move away from that one and let's go to Taipei, where Taipei Mayor ker wen this week went to an event to stump for an alliance of six People First Party members and independent city council candidates. And speaking to reporters there, Ker said that he decided to come out in support of the Taipei Supervising Alliance because four of the candidates are incumbent and they have in the past voiced their support for his policies. Now, also present at this event was People First Party James, Chairman James Sung. Now, of course, they met, they talked at the event. And, of course, headline the next day in one of the newspapers was Kerwin, Jur and James Sung could be teaming up for a possible 2020 presidential run, Xiao. I mean, what did you see that happening?
2: Uh, No, I don't really see that happening because uh, Mayor Kerr is actually quite well known for um, one who is um, trying to bring politics Past the uh, the old era where the the green and blue came uh, at each other's throat, so he s- characterised himself as a, as a so-called white power. Um, that means colourless in a way. Um, so if he chooses, if he runs for president at all and chooses for um, James Song, it will really bring back. Um, a lot of memories of what James Song did in the uh, in the in the past era, where um, in when the, the the martial law and all all the stuff that he did back then.
1: But well, Donovan, but of course, the People First Party have traditionally supported Kerr.
3: Yeah, um, but I, I I agree with Xiao's assessment there. I think he's absolutely correct. Um, I, I don't think that. Uh, Kerr has described himself frequently as green, Um, and I think that in Taipei, which is a a much more blue city than most areas in the country, he kind of needs to rub himself a little bit. On uh, uh, you know, on blue pillars to, uh, to to keep himself from appearing too green, or to or to appear too blue. I mean, he needs to kind of remind everybody that he will deal with anybody and everybody. To remind people that he's out there to try and get things done, not that he's a, a partisan. Uh, and by, you know, speaking specifically of the People's First Party, they're not a major political force by any means. Uh, James Song is not exactly a young man by any uh, means. Uh, you know, I, and again, it's, it's questionable whether he'll even be around in 2020. So the idea of them running on a presidential ticket to me seems uh, laughable.
1: But Mayor Kerr needs to wear camouflage. Exactly right. You know, it changes color. Yeah. Anyway, talk, and of course, the NPP called Freddie Lin this week. Of course, Xiao came out and defended Mayor Kerr and called him not pro-unification.
2: Yeah, the, actually, the, the exact warning is that he thinks that although uh, Mayor Kerr um, said the phrase uh, two straights, one family, which angered a lot of uh, pro-independence people, um, but he never acknowledged the 1992 consensus, or or he never even said uh, Taiwan is part of China. So on um, that alone, I mean, we don't agree, at least the MPP, the Taipei team, we don't agree that the Mayor Kerr is a pro-unificationist. Um, uh, just as Donovan said, he needs to rob himself of some blue collar in order to appeal to blue voters in Taipei. Um, and maybe in doing so, he just... It just got too much blue on him that the green side is so mad at him right now, so right now um m p p is trying to um make a point that it's not healthy to um keep labeling. Uh, the mayor either green or blue or independence or unificationist we need to look past that and actually go into the issues of for example why should taipei keep hosting you know forums with shanghai and not the other international cities like tokyo or, or new york so this is our, our campaign is trying to you know get at not to you know keep going back to the uh, uh, the independence or unifications argument go somewhere else exactly
1: what do you think about that donovan
3: yeah i mean i think also cuz formulation uh, in chinese essentially made the 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 chinese wording of it is more sort of loosely family uh which could be more like sort of cousins or distant cousins or uh, you know not brothers uh whereas china tends to be a lot more forceful that uh, you know Taiwan and China are brothers, we're common blood, they're a little bit more dramatic about it. Um, So, uh, yeah, I I, I think Xiao is absolutely correct here. I I, I think this is, uh, I, I think their take on it is pretty accurate.
1: Anyway, we'll move away from politics and onto something completely different. And the Civil Aeronautics Administration this week said it was reviewing a series of recommendations aimed at regulating the use of drones or UAVs. Not the military ones. These are the private ones we're talking about here. You know, Joe Blow can go and buy one from a shop and then fly it through the air, take some pictures, put them on the interweb, and there you go. Anyway, according to the administration, talks are ongoing with local governments at the moment as it's seeking nationwide consensus on laws governing where drones can be flown and who can actually fly them. Now, the Civil Aviation Body, of course, has been asked to draft regulations regarding the registering of larger drones, the issuing of licences to drone users, as well as the inspection and certification of any type of drone that flies through the air. And more interestingly enough, it's also been asked to draft a special anti-drunk drone flying law. (laughs) There you go. Anyway, an amendment to the Civil Aviation Act overseeing drone use was passed earlier this year and it's set to take effect in July of next year because there's currently no laws governing who can fly drones and where. So, Xiao, as someone with a flying licence, albeit for helicopters, as you have, I mean, do you think people should have licences for drones? Do you think they should be monitored, restricted...
2: Um, so far, the drones are still relatively small. So, um, I don't really see a need, to, um, to have a license, right? Because, uh, I have a helicopter license because helicopters are big and, and dangerous if you don't know how to fly. But right now, um, the hobby is fly drones uh, to, as you said, take pictures and then, you know, putting them on, on the net. Um, that's, that's, you know, I, I don't see a point to over regulate here. But on the other hand, um, as the the, the the drunk flying, you know, laws. It's uh it's probably a little bit overreach, but um, I I I see uh, some point in the future that that might be relevant, and then people, when then people start, you know, flying drones everywhere, they they, they doesn't have a need to regulate them not to you know drink and fly.
3: That's near. Donovan. Yeah, I think actually Shella has summarized it quite well. Uh, I think the, the the regulations are definitely looking toward the future because, I mean, they, but looking at them, they 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 smell to me a little bit, uh, kind of overreach. Um, I, you know, I understand that if you know you know UAVs weighing more than twenty five kilos would have to provide certificates and. Uh, but they they want to have uh, licenses for tiny home drones for people for 60 and over with licenses, and you can be fined for you know your little tiny drone that you know that you fly up at your party. Yeah, you know, if you've had zero point four percent alcohol in your bloodstream, uh, it, it, it does seem to me a little bit overkill in all of this.
2: Right. um, I think it's the general problem with, you know, um, Taiwanese, you know, even governments, local or central, is that when they don't understand something like the latest technology be uber airbnb or even the drones they uh, their knee-jerk reaction is to if not ban them just to over-regulate them so um as a as a, a technologist a software engineer myself i really would like to take another approach and then make sure that the government has people with enough expertise to understand the technology at hand and then try to come up with the better uh regulations so that you know the industry can grow and then the hobbyists will not be you know over, you know, over
1: and before we go this week, while the disheartening news of Taiwan losing yet another diplomatic ally to China swept the pages and screens of the world's news media, it wasn't all doom and gloom for Taiwan this week in the international press, as the island's fun-loving and more quirky side also shone. And we saw headlines reading, Taiwan restaurant dishes up ice cream puppies almost too real to eat, puppy ice cream is scary realistic but delicious, and dog-shaped ice cream treats from Taiwan are freaking out out the internet. Now, I am, of course, talking about Kaohsiung's JC Co-Art Kitchen, where the staff have been busy creating ice cream puppies that look, well, they look quite real. Now, apparently, each puppy ice cream takes about five hours to make, and its sudden fame means the kitchen is limited to creating only 100 per day. Now, the ice cream is reportedly special ice cream, and its puppy shape is formed using a special mould. So you've seen these puppies, obviously, Donovan. Would you be chowing down on one?
3: Uh, Well, I just discovered recently I'm part of the quarter of the population that as you age, you become lactose intolerant. So no, Uh, if I were younger, absolutely I would.
2: Yeah, I actually seen uh, the picture and and movie footage of um, this uh, puppy ice cream and I'm really eager to get my hands on one. Um, And I also see a clip where um, there's one customer eating the ice cream in front of a dog and then the dog is uh, very shocked. So (laughs) um, (laughs) um, I'm eager (laughs) to try that um, and then I have my son who is a two-year-old and try to see what he he thinks.
1: Of course, I mean, do do you see copies of these shooting apps soon, Donovan?
3: Yeah, I don't know. Uh, But, uh, you know, what I love about this is... Is you know there, there there's a certain trope that you see in uh, people who write in the Taipei Times and all of the, this where people say Taiwanese are not creative. The education system is destroying Taiwanese young people's brains, and uh, you know I, I, I but the thing is that every day I literally walk down the street and marvel at all of the creative things that I see that you would not see in other countries. There's buses. In my neighborhood that ride around with uh, where it 's an uh, an older gentleman has filled the entire bus with plush stuffed animals um, and i 'm sure that all the people in the community have come together and donated them until the entire thing is filled with them uh, you know these these uh, ice cream puppies. Um, you know, the the level of creativity that I keep seeing here day in and day out is remarkable, and I love seeing it. And, you know, whether or not this particular idea travels, I, I actually suspect it won't travel too much. Uh, ironically, my, um, uh, my mother's uh, husband, uh, made chocolates that faced the the same problem too realistic to eat was and too beautiful to eat was kind of a challenge but again it just it's a, it's a great reminder of the creativity that you see coming out out every single day here in Taiwan
2: yeah i totally agree with Donovan that um Taiwanese you know especially the younger generation have a lot of creativity but i i think if this idea travels uh I have a feeling that, you know, some other country will, will, you know, commercialize it and then probably have a a big success. And this kind of story always happens again and again, is that um, Taiwanese have the the creativity, but they are not able to commercialize it. So this is the part of the big, you know, problem with the the environment in Taiwan is that they don't Encourage people to actually start up, start up, and then take a risk and invest in the ideas, and then try to uh, make something big. So they just stop at, at the very small, you know, satisfaction of being, you know, some sort of internet fame. Um, so that's something we may look into and see if uh, more ideas can, can come
3: out. And what about that's actually uh, that's an excellent excellent point. Uh, I think has nailed it there. Um, And, yeah, there may be issues on uh, whether or not they'll, they'll, you know, license it and take it forward. Uh, But I do think there's a a lot of potential here in taking ice cream and putting into, rather, because everyone is worried about, you know, there's a lot of comment. I noticed a lot of comment online about how it it looked too realistic that they would feel like it was hurting an actual puppy. Uh, but I'd be willing to bet there's a large market there for taking, uh, you know, for creating ice cream of people that people you might not politically like, uh, you know, say Trump or Taiwan or Ma Joe or or who, whoever you don't actually politically like. Uh, there, there might be quite a market in there out there for that.
2: I agree. Yes, I want I I Who do you want? <laughs> probably mind jaw okay there we go, there we go. <laughs> All right.
1: anyway that's where we'll leave it here this week here on Taiwan this week and I've been joined in the studio today by Xiao Xin Shen
2: hi bye
1: and on the telephone by Donovan Smith and uh, good evening Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcasts on iTunes and Android podcast apps where you can get access to one of our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 8.30 for another informative look at the top stories
0: of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.